Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name's Emma Doyle, and I'm here with Lauren Amon, a mindset coach for athletes. Her career is in swimming. She's got over 20 years of experience around identity, growth mindset, mental support, and helping you live a more fulfilled life, amongst many other things that we are definitely going to talk about on the Coaching Podcast. Lauren, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Emma. I'm doing really well today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So uh, because Australia is on your bucket list, I'm going to go down a different path. Uh, Our pattern break question is, I'm going to go anchovies on a pizza. You either love them or you strongly dislike them. What's your take? Uh, It can never touch my pizza. Strongly (laughs) dislike All right. Well, I do hope that you do get to Australia and taste Vegemite. Many people also dislike it, like the anchovies. Because you answered that way, could you share with us a coaching moment that didn't go well? Now, you've got a strong background in in, um, elite swimming as well as being a coach yourself. So you can choose uh, from a player's perspective or a coach perspective. Totally up to you. What what comes to mind? Yeah. Yeah. One flooded my memory the moment you said it. Um, I was actually in college and um, I happened, I don't remember what I said, but I happened to say something like, gosh, I wish that our teammates would just kind of get into it. Everybody would put all of their efforts, just work a little harder. And my coach heard me. And the next minute after practice, I was pulled into his office and suspended for a week. Wow. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. So I do remember the, the weekend, it was a meet that we had just before. I think that was a Monday or Tuesday on a weekday, right? And the weekend before he had a meeting with the entire team. We didn't swim very well as a team. And I remember the, his comments being something like the buck stops here, you all have to be a part of this. There will be no negativity. We cannot have anything like this. And then it was a day or two later, right? When we were back in the practice and I just happened to say, gosh, I wish everyone would just, you just, everybody needs to be a part of this. We all need to give everything our all. We all just need to work a little harder. And then, you know, again, I was called in and I was blindsided by this. Okay. Well, you're suspended for a week. You cannot attend practice as a, as part of the team, but you have to go to practice. And I'm sure any sport is like this. I mean, I can only speak from swimming doing an entire swimming practice by yourself might be one of the most torturous experiences that I've ever had in my life. You know, trying to find a pace, trying to find motivation, trying to get into the practice. I remember that entire week that I wasn't allowed to attend. It was just a week I was going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I had no motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And so just taking the lesson from that story, uh, if you were a coach in that situation, one of your athletes came to you in that situation, how would you approach it differently? Go in deeper. You know, what was behind the motivation of me saying that? Yeah. And, you know, knowing what I know now as a, as a certified professional coach, 
there was something behind my language. Right? There was a, there, I was triggered in some way. Right. And I was unconscious of the trigger and fully respond, taking full accountability of my comments, but dive in deeper with me, mm. you know, ask me, or I would ask, right. What, what was behind the comment today? Mm. What is it, you know, and, 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 you know, how is it that you might've handled that situation a little differently moving forward? Mm. And equally you were, in many ways, voicing what he said that he wanted for the team. So you're continuing to build what you thought was potentially the right the right idea. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I love that. There's so many great lessons in that, in asking great questions. And I know on uh, on your website earlier, looking through, you, know, you even give examples in your blogs in how to ask great questions, which, which I love and I recommend everyone to check it out. Uh, what about on the flip side, Lauren? What about a coaching moment that went really well and what might be one or two of the lessons? It was, um, this is a funny, this is a funny one. And this is actually a, um, a great example of a coach really understanding um, who I was. So growing up, I was, a, I was an endurance athlete. I was an endurance swimmer. Um, I swam here in the US, right? The 500 yards, the 1650 um, or long course, right? 400, 800, 1500. And I was trying to get better at the 200, right? You know, kind of the shorter distances were not my, my thing. And so my coach was working with Anna. We started doing a lot of speed work. And then one time at a meet, he said something that got under my skin a little bit. And it was literally right before I got it. I dove into the pool right before my heat went off and I had the best time I've ever swam in that event, right? Up to that date. And, and I always, I always chuckle at this because there is something, you know, when, when there was just that twinge of competition, he like, he, he dug into that competitive side of me and got it to come out. And he knew how to do it in such a way that he knew it was going to translate to the pool. And, you know, I, I and I chuckle about that because I don't, you know, looking back, I don't know that that would be kind of a go-to um, strategy, but he knew who I was. He knew by just, I forget what he said. I just remember, and it was something about like, well, let me see how you do this, right? He was, he was sparking that competition of, oh, I don't think she can do this. And I was like, well, watch me do this, right? It was that kind of situation. And I got out of the pool and I was smiling and he just started laughing and he said, yeah, there it was. That's all I needed. I just needed for you to get that little bit out in there. I knew it was going to translate in the pool. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And one thing that I heard in what you said is the rapport and trust that obviously the relationship had to know which button, because that, that same scenario without that rapport, trust, understanding who you are, obviously can, can go south as well. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's awesome story. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that is the thing. That's why I say, I don't know that that would be like the tactic, but if you know the athlete mm -hmm. and you know, the button is going to be used in a productive way. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, and I, I, that is, he is my, his name is Eric. He is my favorite coach that I ever had ever. <laughs> Big shout out to Eric. Great coaching. Well done, mate. All right. The next question is the sliding doors question. So, you know, when your life is heading one way and something or someone happens, you end up making a dramatic turn. I 
reading your background, you've had a, a couple of left and right hand turns. Could you share one or two of your sliding doors moments? Yeah. So um, the first one, I had gone to uh, the university uh, to become a lawyer. My undergraduate was in political science. I had every intent of going to law school. And upon graduation, upon finishing swimming, and I took the LSAT, the entrance exam, into law school here in the U.S. and didn't pass. Wasn't even remotely close to passing. And so there I was, I just graduated college, had just finished swimming, and the path I thought I was going to go <laughs> didn't work out. Uh, and that's when I took about two years to really figure out, okay, with a political science degree, I don't want to go into politics. It's not where I wanted to end up was very tumultuous here in the U.S., as everybody knows. Um, and so that's when I took the pivot and, you know, kind of slid the door into human resources. And that's where I got my master's degree and uh, had a 15-year uh, uh, career in that. And then another sliding door came. I had come to the point where it just wasn't my passion, it wasn't my passion any longer. And it's not something that I felt was really fulfilling for me. While I had a great success, it just was more draining than it was uh, passion driven. And having been exposed to executive coaching in the human resources space, I thought, well, you know, this is an opportunity to really work more closely and directly. People learn a skill that I'd always been really intrigued by. And so I went and got my pro professional coaching certification. And that's when I stepped out of the corporate world and went and opened my own practice. And then I think the most significant sliding door moment is I had opened my practice to be about leadership development and career transition because it had been my career. And then I had that aha moment of, well, you left it because it wasn't a huge passion for you. And that's when it was the week before the summer 2020 Olympics. And I had happened to say to a business mentor of mine, I wonder what it'd be like to work with former athletes. That was a thought that was going through my mind. And then a week later, Simone Biles removed herself from competition. Katie Ledecky had won the 1500 meter freestyle for the first time ever in the women's event, but had a very disappointing swim. And then Michael Phelps came on the US broadcast at least and said, uh, competing at this level is really overwhelming. We just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens and who allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. And that's the moment I thought, oh my gosh, here's the first part of my life coming together with a second part of my life. And that was probably the biggest aha sliding door moment of saying, okay, now I know who I'm called to serve and it's athletes. Isn't it interesting how things show up and when they show up, like sometimes just being inspired by someone you don't, you haven't met yet. Maybe you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't met Simone yet. No, like, even her story and, and in the world of tennis, Naomi Osaka during that <laughs> period as well. Um, and I love what you said about not wanting to fix us. So many of my coaching sessions that I have, sometimes I feel like I didn't give any value. And at the end of it, they go, that was so valuable because <laughs> there's nowhere else and I don't have a space to be able to just <laughs> talk and share honestly and openly and vulnerably uh, so yeah, that's, that's some really cool sliding doors moments. That's, that's awesome. I can feel your on purpose, which is the types of guests I love to have on this show. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's like, oftentimes it is just the simplicity of having a space mm -hmm. and the, you knowing the other person on the other end has no agenda for you whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. That's coaching. 
Yes. And that is so much about business coaching really teaches that. And this is why I run the podcast because I feel like sports coaches can just gain so much from that, as can business coaches from sport, but especially on the topic that we just spoke about, almost letting go of trying to fix things because, you know, as sports coaches and and in swimming, you know, the the angle of the elbow or the way the hand hits the water, you can get so obsessed with that. And and maybe we could talk a little bit about perfectionism uh, post our regular questions, but but I'll, I'll stay on track for now. Our next question is our holy grail question of coaching in one to a maximum of three words what do you think makes a great coach acknowledgement and validation and by that I mean you know I I had listened to your uh, TED talk and you know the the three people who said that what makes a great coach is someone who listens right one who listens And it's taking that concept a little bit further. And the idea of acknowledgement and validation is that sometimes, regardless of what kind of coaching, whether it's, you know, mindset coaching, business coaching, sports coaching, whatever the case may be, sometimes the most powerful statements are literally from someone as the coach, acknowledging where you are and validating that what you're going through, perfectly normal and purposeful for you as an individual, even as, as tough as it may be of just literally having someone say to you, it makes perfect sense that you're feeling angry because someone challenged what you said in a meeting. And it goes back to that, um, that, that example I had of, you know, having heard from my coach at the time, it makes total sense right now. You're really frustrated with your teammates. I know how important it is for you to give everything your all. And you love to see your teammates giving as much as you give because it's part of your world, right? Just that. And even if you, even if he never understood that, right? Even if he didn't understand how important that was to me, just hearing from someone else. Yeah, of course you're upset right now. It makes perfect sense. And it's almost that relief of, oh, someone heard me. Acknowledgement and validation. Fantastic. But our last official question on the coaching podcast is where we ask you to ask us a question. So you know that our audience is both business, business and sports coaches. Mm-hmm. When you get to meet you know, other successful entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, uh, what's that one question that sparks Lauren's curiosity? What's behind your why? I love to understand why people do what they do. And it's really funny because why is tends not to be a, a question I use in my coaching practice, but there are ways to get there. If there's, what is it that drives you? What, what is it that gets you up in the morning and wants you to do whatever you do? And I love to see the energy behind that answer because it's very apparent when someone truly is, has found their why and is living it. Fantastic question. And and just on that, if I could share with our audience, uh, I'm pretty passionate about why questions. And I think now would be a good time because I I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but when, and it goes back to something you said earlier around trust and uh, rapport when you know the person in front of you, because one of my mentors who still mentors me today, he has mentored me since I was 20. So I'm not going to tell everyone 
how long ago that was. Uh, but he would say, we had great rapport, we had great trust, and we were setting a future-based goal. So therefore, those why questions were fantastic. And why? And why? Instead of but why? So he was validating whatever I would say. And then he was peeling back the layers like an onion with the questioning. And uh, I know Lauren mentioned that, as, as especially as business coaches, when a negative situation occurs, if we ask a why question, then often that can lead to blame, mm -hmm. criticise, um, quitting and uh, justifying, denying that didn't happen, that wasn't me. So uh, I don't, I've never mentioned that on the podcast before. And I think it's a great tip for coaches to hear why you said what you said around the why questions. And I think it, it comes back to positive or, or and rapport versus mm -hmm. after an, asking a why question after a negative situation. So be really mindful about that. Is there anything else you want to expand on what I just said then? And, and did I understand you correctly? Yeah, yeah, that is it, the why question can create a little bit of a wall or defensiveness be, it, simply because I think of how we've been um, socialized, right? You know, when we ask why, it's like, oh God, is someone going to question why I did this? You know, it, it, I think that we've, we've conditioned ourselves that someone's going to come at us, well, you should have done something. Well, why did you do that, right? It comes with the inflection of the voice. But you're absolutely right in terms of when there's this positive and this energy around, ooh, help me under, well, ooh, why did you do that? Versus what were you thinking? Why would you do that? It, yes, I think there, it, there can be this very defensive kind of unconscious defensiveness when there's a why question in kind of the negative connotation, but the energy, a very positive, empowering energy when it's asked in, in a very positive kind of uplifting way. And I hope everyone heard Lauren's tone there as well to emphasize that point. It was super awesome. Uh, and also I, in, when she used the negative tone, she also used the word should. Uh, so I'm, this is, that's one of my goals this year is to eradicate should and deserve two words that I think just, uh, well, I get stuck on them sometimes mm -hmm. thinking that I deserve or should, I should be. And I'm really working on eradicating uh, those. There's so many other more empowering words. Um, yes. Oh, I love the idea. I love the concept of um, including deserve in that, right? I, I, mm -hmm. should, should, I'm trying to get rid of too. Yeah. And sometimes I don't even know that I say it. Um, but yeah. deserving is a great one too. All right. So talk us back to swimming. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get started in, in swimming? I mean, there's so many other sports in America. In Australia, swimming is, well, we have to. Every, everyone does swimming lessons because there's a, you know, there's a pool in every second backyard. And I know parts of Florida, for example, there is too, but it's not necessarily a sport here in America that uh, people gravitate towards. Why is that? And, and how did you get started in swimming? Yeah, well, so the story goes, and I don't remember this. I was five years old and I have two older sisters. Uh, one is, my oldest is six and a half years older than me. And my middle is five years older than me. And they were already swimming. And my mother tells me that uh, I was uh, a bit bothersome when it came to wanting food from the concession stand. And she just wanted something to do with me because she recognized I had a lot of energy. And so she literally threw me in to swimming lessons. 
so that I could be a part of the swim meet or be occupied as part of the swim meet. And, you know, you had mentioned something before of just how sometimes the universe hands us what we want. And I absolutely fell in love with the sport. I never wanted to do anything else. Mm. And what, what is it about swimming? Cause I have to say, I didn't love my swimming lessons and I've watched some pretty horrendous swimming lessons with my <laughs> nieces and nephews, but uh, what is it about swimming that you, that you do love? Um, gosh, I get asked this question all the time and it's actually kind of a hard answer to articulate. I loved the aspect of, so personal responsibility is one of my, or accountability is one of my um, highest values. And a lot of that has was a part of my upbringing, right? My parents really encouraged us that if, you know, we were in situations to take responsibility, to figure them out and, you know, to kind of get through those. And I think swimming kind of is a great reflection of that, of whatever I had to do, I had to do in the pool myself, right? If, if, if something went really well, that was on me. And if something didn't go well, that was on me. But I was also surrounded by a support system that was there doing the exact same thing every single day but in a completely different way with completely different talents, right? That's the beauty thing about swimming is that, you know, we all don't do the same thing. We can, not at the same level with the same talent. And I just, again, as the universe would have it, I made so many good friends and I was such, I was such on a great team. I never wanted to be anywhere else. And I loved getting lost in the rhythm of swimming. Like I, I would tell everybody all the time, like my mind would just go whoop completely blank, but in a really powerful way. And as I later learned in terms of what really drives our brains is that my brain, I think was really attracted to the rhythm of my hands. You know, I was a freestyle, I was a distance swimmer, as I said. So the hands, you know, hearing my hands enter the water and leave the water and just that sort of rhythm, it was soothing and therapeutic. Played division. I was. I say play division one swimming. That, that was a, a. That was a subconscious slip there. Um, compete at a division one level. Uh, so, and I interview a lot of high level sports people now who also want nothing to do with their sport. So, you know, interesting. As an adult, many uh, tennis is my background. So, many elite tennis players. Then, as an adult, that they don't even want to pick up a racket. Do you swim? I don't. And I, I will say this for many, many years, it was because of how I left the sport. My last year was really, really tough and I was never burnt out. What I now realize is that I was mourning the loss of that transition well before I knew it. It was a very unconscious mourning. And I ended the sport on, on not a very high level. I did not have a great meet, my very last meet. And that's what stayed in my mind until years later, I processed all of that stuff and finally became conscious of, oh, I kind of created that environment for myself. Um, but now if I get there, there are moments when I will get in and I look at the pool and I just think, oh my goodness, I have to be in there. I have to find something. I've got to find something to do. Then I get in and it's kind of boring. So by yourself, <laughs> so, so it tends not to last very long. And, and I don't know if this is how I was in tennis. Like it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. And that's hard, right? It's, it's hard to mentally kind of, oh man, it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. And I just don't have enough access to it right now. Right. And, you know, sometimes in the winter when, or 
feels like it's still winter here in Ohio. Um, but like getting up and going to the pool in 30 degree weather just mm. in my forties does not sound fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's certainly another thing that put me off swimming is the, the 5am <laughs> um, training. And, and uh, like you said, but you know, there's been some pretty incredible moments as well, especially in Australian swimming. Uh, if you remember Kieran Perkins winning, you know, qualifying in lane eight and he, he came and won that goal, smashed that gold medal um was one of the I still remember that you know I think so even though I'm a lover of all sports but swimming always fascinates me that you know to watch that black line and and over and over again and and uh so on perfection uh perfectionism it's come up a couple of times now I'm, I'm super curious you know again tennis you've got a moving object the ball's moving you've got an opponent uh in swimming to me it does seem like a sport where you are aiming for a level of perfectionism, but then you've got these meets that have all this extra pressure. So I'm, I'm super curious about how much of your training do you dedicate towards the, the perfection of technique versus the tactics of, especially distance swimming, um, and how do you find that balance? You know, and it goes back to what... Um from a technique standpoint, so I was very lucky, right? I swam for 17 years, never had an injury ever. Uh, sure. I had sore shoulders and, you know, when you're some 10,000 yards of, of practice, you know, overuse can, can happen. But from a technique standpoint, I don't ever remember being a perfectionist about my technique. Uh, and I think that was one thing that I loved about swimming. I talk about my early coaches um, who were very nurturing women, you know, at the, at the age of five and six and what my mom helps me remember is how much attention they placed on technique at that young age. So as I grew older, I didn't necessarily place that much attention on my technique. Now where perfectionism really came into play was my mind, right? And every time I went to a meet, regardless of the, the level of the meet, whether it was just a regular season kind of filler milestone kind of progress report meet, or it was, you know, a national meet, I needed to be at 110% and swim my very best every single time, regardless of where I was in my training regimen, right? And I wasn't cognizant enough at the time to say, okay, you just came off of Christmas training, which in swimming is typically the, the most challenging time, you know, as a month after clearly your body is in fatigue mode, it would be unreasonable for you to swim your best time at this moment. But I did, I was, it was, nope. If I got on that block at a meet, it had to be my best time. That's where my perfectionism really came in. Mm. And my parents were not crazy pressure kind of parents, right? Neither of them can swim. Neither of them are athletic at all. And never once did they ever put any pressure on me to perform at a certain level, but it was all me. It was all up here. And that's where I couldn't get out of my own perfectionism way. Now on the flip side, being a coach and an athlete comes to you saying, I'm not handling pressure. Well, um, you know, I'm on the blocks and I'm, I'm saying, I've got to get my best time. I have to do this. What sort of coaching uh, tips could you share if you had an athlete like that? 
Yeah. That is a great question. Cause you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before of really building that rapport and understanding where they're coming from. So what's really important for me as a coach is to understand their values, right? And that comes from, you know, that relationship and building the rapport. And that's where the idea of acknowledgement and validation really come into play is if I have the ability to understand why competing, why, uh, why competing as a perfectionist and, you know, why it keeps coming up is to really understand and unravel that kind of pattern, right? As, as coaches, what we start to learn, and that's the beauty part of the profession as a business coach or whatever, is that we all develop patterns, right? And our neural pathways can, you know, we condition ourselves in these specific neural pathways and, and perfectionism is a pattern. And to really understand what is it about performing at that level at this particular meet is so important and starting to unravel what's behind the mindset and where this pressure is coming from. Because in my experience, not only in what I've gone through in my life, but working with clients is that pressure is really coming from within, but we can't quite, we ourselves, right? You know, if you're the individual with the pressure, can't see the forest through the trees. And so you're not necessarily really recognizing that you're doing it. And so working with them to really unravel, what are your values? How do we build that trust and rapport with one another? And understandably where you are based on those values to acknowledge and validate where you are and then start unraveling the pattern that gets you to why that perfectionism is such a big deal. Mm. And, and it's, it, it's I, I love the idea of practical tips, but sometimes in coaching, it's the practical tip is to keep asking the question and digging to see where the root really is. And then you can address it with certain techniques. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely not one size fits all. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I love that. And one of our jobs as a coach is to recognize patterns, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, even, and you can do that in language, you can do that in body language, you can do that in their actual results, the patterns that keep happening. I know I had an athlete once that, you know, she would, trained beautifully during during the training season and then every time the competition was about to come she would get sick i mean that was the body just literally giving us a sign to say that she wasn't coping with the pressure because of what she was how she was uh framing the competition yeah so, yeah um, fascinating uh so let's talk about uh shift over to identity uh, one of the lines that I liked what you wrote uh, in one of your blogs, I think it was literally 17 years as a swimmer, I knew who I was. 17 years not as a swimmer, I had no idea who I was or something along those lines. Sorry if I got that wrong, but I love that around identities. And so many times, you know, here parents uh, and having such great intentions, but my oldest one is this and my, you know, and then my third one, she's the swimmer, the swimmer, or, you know, they're the tennis player or they're the, so talk to me about your experience around identity in, in what I just mentioned and also clients who struggle with, they've got an injury um, and all of a sudden they can't be who they normally are. Talk, talk to me about those two, two things. Yeah. So, and 
I, I'm with you. I used to you know, say I was a former swimmer and then I was like, no, I, 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 I was a swimmer. Right. And, you know, just trying to play with all these things. But, you know, when people ask me why I loved swimming so much, as I've been able to process the experience, what I loved is that I felt most me. I felt most authentically me. And I wasn't conscious of that in the moment, but that's where I got so wrapped up in the identity is because I loved swimming so much. It's the only place I really wanted to be. Now, I was a pretty fair student, pretty good student. But, you know, when you talk to me about what is it that my life, it was all swimming, right? And so that's where my identity was wrapped up in it. And that's what I had a really hard time with in the transition. And it wasn't until 17 years after I stopped swimming that I realized that last year I was so wrapped up in the, oh my gosh, what am I going to be once this is over? Mm. And the minute I, the minute I touched my hand at the very last event I ever swam, I started crying. Cause I was like, okay, I could, I was like playing along during the meet cause I still got to swim, but the moment it was over and that was really challenging for me. And then going back to, you know, and I didn't get into law school that took me down deeper. And it wasn't until I realized, you know, literally just a year ago that swimming wasn't my identity. What swimming allowed was for my truest identity to shine through right? The environment that was created, the environment I found myself in, it just activated the things that were already inside of me that were God-given, universe-given, source-given, whatever you believe in. Swimming just happened to be my avenue to see it. And when that platform or that avenue was gone, I couldn't see it, right? I think you, you mentioned something this in your TED Talk. Um, you know, it, it, it's like I come out of it and I don't know how to fit in anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And the same kind of rings true with those who are injured is that, oh my gosh, my platform or my avenue that I can be most me is gone. And what do I do? You know, and, and a lot of athletes and myself included, we get so wrapped up and understandably so of like this physicality that we have, you know, there's only 3% of the population that is an athlete. So you know, we're a pretty small group of people. Um, you know, comparatively speaking. And so to be a part of that club, to be a part of that, you know, community. And then when, when your role in that community, if you get injured or you've, you've left or you have to leave for some reason is no longer there, that's when you're kind of like, I don't know how to operate mm -hmm. in a world where I'm not giving 110% of myself or my teammates are always there right next to me or my coach is standing right there supporting me, right? You know, that was also part of the journey is that as an athlete, you get handed a lot of things. Mm. And by that, I mean, your workout, you know, your schedule, you know, you have to show up and do all of the work, but someone's handing you something and saying, do this. Mm -hmm. And then when you come out of the world and you don't have someone saying, do this, you don't know how to operate. Mm. And that's where that identity gets so jumbled. Yep. Yep. I want to, yeah, just take that over to the business. And I've just found where, where I read it. 17 years in the pool, feeling most like myself, 17 years out of the pool and had no idea who I was. Uh, so if we think about that also, 
in the workplace and this new hybrid workplace. When we had an office, we went to work and we often were given our KPIs and we had a structure to our day. And now all of a sudden you've got your home office. So you've got other just daily distractions that might be, uh, oh, now I can do the washing or, you know, and now this can come up or I got to walk the dog or I got to look after the kids. And so there's all these other extra distractions. There's no one really setting up your day for success. And I think that's something that I'm seeing more and more with this hybrid workplace. One of my clients came to me last week and she goes, Emma, life is just crazy town. It's crazy town. And I'm not coping with and then she listed easily 15 things that were going on in her life uh, that she wasn't coping with. So, so I find that fascinating from a swimming perspective too. You know, you're given, and, and, and college sports too, we're given so many things. We have access to personal trainers and a sports psych if we need it. And then all of a sudden you're thrown out into the world and, and it's sink or swim, pardon the pun. Uh, so... Talk to me about uh, what you see as some of the biggest challenges in as you know, in this hybrid sort of workplace with some of the clients that you deal. What are they struggling with the most? I think it's exactly what you're talking about. It's this jam-packed schedule or this jam-packed expectation that yeah, we have the freedom. You know, we're talking specifically about the hybrid. Yeah, we have the freedom to do all of these things, but it's, I think everyone's struggling with, well, how do I actually fit them in? Mm. And, you know, one of the things that not only I've been working on with myself, but with clients as well, is this concept of less, but better. And this idea that, you know, again, I'll liken it to my, my, my schedule when I was growing up, you know, at the, my, life as a student athlete was jam-packed, right? I'd wake up, I would swim, I would eat, I would go to school, I would eat again, I would swim, I would eat, I would homework, I would go to bed, right? That was my life for over a decade. And I remember coming out and thinking, oh, okay, Being, having a jam-packed schedule is my jam, right? I, that's, how I, that's how I'm successful. <laughs> Took me, again, another 17 years to say there's a difference between having a jam-packed schedule and busyness, right? My jam-packed schedule as an athlete was actually really only focused on two things, swimming and school, and obviously eating and sleeping in the basic human functions, right? But I think, you know, in transitioning into adulthood and even in this hybrid space is, okay, well, now is exactly what you talked about. We've got the kids, we've got the pets, we've got the laundry, we've got the house, we've got the profession, we've got the relationships. And we're in the comfort of our own homes thinking, oh, I can get to it all. And there's been that mix of work and professional life that, or I mean, work and personal life that the boundaries no longer exist. And so everything gets mashed together and you're just kind of in this constant whirlwind of, oh, I can go to here, to here, to here, to here, to here, and not saying, okay, today my three priorities are, you know, do the laundry, empty the dishwasher and make sure I get through my work, right? And then tomorrow it's going to be family time with the kid, you know. I never want to discount family time by any means, but the point being that, you know, really getting laser focused on mm. these are my priorities. And while my schedule may be jam packed, I'm not trying to go after every single thing. Mm. 
chunking that into manageable manageable pieces. Uh, and can I invite you with a word reframe? How about less and better? I love it. Absolutely, <laughs> you can invite me. You can invite me. And, and, and because I mentioned it earlier with the why, the why stuff, and around validation, let we're we're validating less. Not saying that you're working any less, but you're prioritizing that less and better in terms yeah. of improvement and that that next opportunity. I love that invitation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for taking that on. All right. Talk to me about uh, the mental demons mm. so that pop up. We all have them. doesn't matter if we're an athlete or, you know, especially what about from a coach lens cap, the, the self-doubting voice in the coach's head, the imposter syndrome in the coach's mind. We have it too, not just athletes. What are some of the ways that you help your clients um, with that? It, it's exactly kind of what you just went through. It's that idea of reframing. And, you know, the, the idea of imposter syndrome, everyone suffers from it. I shouldn't say so. Everyone experiences it, right? I think there's actually a, a pretty powerful experience when it comes to imposter syndrome and again, it's kind of that invitation to reframe of that imposter syndrome is an opportunity for growth because you've put yourself or you've found yourself in a situation where you may not know how to do something, but a simple reframe of, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to see how powerful of a learner I am. Now that I'm in this situation where I have absolutely no idea what the heck I'm doing, mm. right? And I know that's a lot easier said than done, but from a coaching standpoint, as you build that rapport and, and I'll talk about it as a, as a coach, when I first started of, oh my goodness, who am I to support someone to reframe their mind, right? I'm still on that journey. So how am I going to sit across from someone and say, well, here, what if we tried to, you know, let me invite you to, to consider this, but Part of that is just being slightly ahead of the path, right? It's not that you have to be an expert in something, looking at it from a coaching standpoint, I didn't have to be an expert in something, but I took a lot of time, effort, and energy to develop myself in the skill of coaching. And now it's an opportunity to share that with someone else mm -hmm. who may not be as far along in that personal development journey, but they want to be. And so it's this, I, so for me personally, it was that reframe of this isn't about who are you to do something. It's how can you support this person who's coming to you and seeking something that you've been through, you know, a skill, not necessarily the experience, but the skill that you've learned, they're willing to jump in and say, goodness gracious, help me right now, you know, support me in this. And, you know, every single day and, and even times with new clients, you're kind of like, I, I can be, I'm not going to speak for anybody else's. Oh gosh, I hope I can help this person or, oh gosh, I can, so I hope I can support them in a way that makes total sense for them. And, uh, you know, that, that idea of, you know, being there and being present for your client and, you know, you can, in your mind, and I've had the situation, oh gosh, I don't know that that went as deep as maybe that was beneficial for them. And the client is saying, oh my gosh, you just opened up a whole new world for me that I hadn't even seen. And again, it goes back to a little bit of that acknowledge and validation of, 
okay, they just acknowledged and validated me without even knowing that there was an opportunity to do so. And, you know, it's just, it's that concept of the mental demons. Um, it's that inner critic, right? That, that voice that was developed in all of us that we all developed that was there for protection, right? It serves a very powerful purpose, um, but it's also your brain's way of protecting you, know, protecting you. And uh, the brain is very good at creating patterns because it wants to work efficiently. If we had to rethink and relearn everything we ever knew, our brain would explode, right? And so it gets into patterns. And we talked about this before, and that's really what the imposter syndrome is. It's just an pattern that's so ingrained that you feel like, oh gosh, I couldn't do this. I'm not the person to do this. And it's really just interrupting that pattern. And sometimes it only takes one question to yourself. I mean, I have to fully believe the question or fully believe the answer you give to yourself, but the fact that you can say it out loud and interrupt the pattern, that becomes really powerful. Yeah. I love that technique saying something out loud because then it's real rather than just the, the repeat inside your head, but actually pattern interrupt by saying something out loud, uh, really great technique to, to help your clients um, and us as coaches use that on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Love that coaching tip. Awesome work. Well, what are some of your just final closing words of wisdom? And there's been a lot here today from acknowledgement, validation, getting lost in the rhythm of swimming, less and better, and allowing your identity to shine through to feel most like me, just to name a few of my highlights in this episode. Uh, just this coaching gold nuggets, you know, advice out there for our listeners, people that are new to coaching, people that have been coaching for ages. What do you, as you sit here today, what is what are three of your top tips? Well, I don't know if that's necessarily a tip, but something that I always say, and you know, what I talk to about athletes is to train your mind like you train your body. And I think oftentimes we as humans get into the mindset that our mind is a fixed entity. And, you know, the simple act of interrupting a pattern by asking yourself a question out loud and answering it out loud is a very simple and practical way to start getting your brain to think differently and create different neural pathways. Mm. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's a tip, but that's just, you know, your, your, your mind can be trained yeah, and, and it I can be evolved. Yeah. And on that one, I'm always huge believer in that the mind and the body are intrinsically linked. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great tip for coaches out there to use that as a strategy and also big, bring it to our conscious awareness. That's the other through line of this episode. The number of times actually you've mentioned about what's happening at an unconscious level or a subconscious level. We don't even know our patterns until we bring them to the surface. So uh, awesome. That's, that's yeah. a great tip. Number one, have you got two more? <laughs> oh yes. Um, specifically in the coaching space, grace is your best friend, right? And it often can come of back to that. Oh, I don't know that I did as much as I could, or, you know, to extend, you know, oh, I, maybe I should have asked this question, right? It's that inner demon, right? To provide grace, because as a coach, you're providing space that the person wouldn't have otherwise, right? That's the only time that, you know, or one of the few times that is dedicated specifically to them 
and any support you give completely to them is well worth the interaction and the price of admission, um, both literally and figuratively. And so in those moments when that inner demon does surface to provide grace to yourself. Fantastic. Well, on that note, we are providing grace to all of you out there. And Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure just learning a, a small snapshot about your, your journey. And uh, yeah, laurenamon.com if you want to learn more, that's double A there. And I'll have that in the show notes, don't worry. And yeah, if anyone is, but anyone going through transition athlete into the corporate world or you've, you're coming out of sport or back into sport, uh, please check out Lauren's website because she definitely has a lot of coaching wisdom and uh, total acknowledgement and validation for being here on the show. Thank you, Lauren, for making me a better coach. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fitness performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. That's the number four. If you company are interested in sponsoring the Coaching Podcast, reach out to info at emmadoyle.com.au.